us. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to begin by reading a few verses here that really uh, is a part of a larger context and scenario that we will look at together. But it was a very challenging moment in the life of a church. Let me just say this, you know, there's no better place for us to learn about church ought to be than in the New Testament looking at and studying and learning from the churches of the New Testament. And so they had their problems, they had issues, they had high points and low points, but we're going to look at a church and just see how they responded to a very challenging moment in the life of that church, and they were able to maintain the, the kind of focus that they needed. And here's the reason I want to look at this, and I'll mention this again in the message, because in life, challenges come to us, difficulties come to us, unforeseen situations come to us, and if we're not careful, it can change our focus in life. It can change our purpose. And really, we see in this church that even though they were facing great challenges, they kept the right focus. And I think that's an important thing to learn from. So let's stand together, if you're able to stand, and let's read a few verses. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. Acts 4 and 29. This is a part of a, a lengthy prayer, and we'll look at some other parts of the prayer in a moment. But Acts 4, 29, this is a part of this prayer. And now, Lord, this is the church praying, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants, unto us, we're here to serve you, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and as we begin this time of study, we pray for your help, Lord. We pray that you would give us, Lord, the grace to be attentive, to have open hearts and minds, to hear and receive what you have for us, and Father, we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So again, one of the things that stands out to me in this passage is really how the church, the focus of the church did not change. And uh, let's just begin by kind of looking at the circumstances and we see the resilience, really, of this Jerusalem church. And... Uh, like I said earlier, all churches will face challenges, and not just our church, we've been in a lot of churches, all churches face challenges, and this church was no exception, but what is actually going, going on at this moment? Let's, 
Let's just back up a little bit and look in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 2, we have the, the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the church there in Jerusalem and empowering them for their service. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, we, we see this a record of where they went to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, happened to be 3 p.m., and there was a man there that was lame from his mother's womb. It doesn't tell us in this passage how old this man was, but he was over 40 years old. He'd been, lame, he'd been crippled all his life. There was a man there, and he was asking for donations. He was asking for alms. He needed help. And, of course, you know, Peter and John said, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. He, he was asking for a donation, but he got something better. He was healed of this, this disease, this uh, being crippled all of his life. Well, uh, verse 8 says in Acts chapter 3 that he was leaped up and was walking and, and uh, entered into the, with, the, with them, with James, uh, Peter and uh, John went into the temple and, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. Well, if you look over then to chapter 4, we kind of have the response to what's taking place. And it says in verse, and, and by the way, Peter began to preach in chapter 4, verse 1, and as, as they, talking about Peter and them, spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Now, we don't know exactly how long this took place, but we had this great victory on Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit of God. 3,000 people were saved. I mean, the church is really hitting on all cylinders, if you would. Now, this man gets healed. What a wonderful thing. The reaction to that, the response to that, was these religious leaders came upon them and threw them in jail. And so beginning in chapter 4, we have this challenging difficulty that they're going through. And uh, it was indeed a difficult time. And if you read through these verses in chapter 4, look in verse 17. This was the, this was the sentence the, de the decree, the declaration of these people who had incarcerated them, verse 17, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. We're going to give them this strict regulation. And they called them, verse 18, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they're given these strict strict guidelines and so before we read any further you know try to put yourself in this place you know you're in this church God is blessing and now all of a sudden people are locked up for preaching the gospel and they're given these strict regulations imagine the government decree saying that you can't preach anymore and, and I'm just asking myself you know how might I respond to that? How might our church respond to that? And um, this, this attempt really to silence us. And by the way, this was not the only challenge they're going to face. We're not going to look further on as far as reading the passages. But in the very next chapter, chapter 5, the apostles are cast into prison again. Some of them wanted to kill them at that time. In chapter 7, one of the first deacons, Stephen was publicly executed, stoned. 
In chapter 8, it tells us that because of this great persecution from Saul of Tarsus, all the disciples were scattered everywhere. And if you read a little further on, James, one of the spiritual leaders, was beheaded. And it was such a popular move among the Jews that the government went and locked up Peter. And I'm just telling you, these, these are the things that are happening. This is the atmosphere. This is the climate. And I don't think I even have to explain this to you. We live in a very blessed place in this country to be able to live for the Lord and assemble like this and preach the gospel and share. And we, with very, thus far, a minimal amount of persecution. But what if it wasn't like this? What if we did get a decree that we can, we can no longer do this? We can no longer assemble like this? By the way, during COVID, they made that decree, didn't they? What, what would we do if the government says, no, you can't give out those gospel tracts anymore. You can't hand that literature out anymore. And to say, well, I just know what I would do. I'm not sure we do know what we would do. But I know what they did. And that's why I say this is a good example of how a church kept their focus, even in a difficult time. Well, what did they do? Look in verse 29. We read it a moment ago, Acts 4:29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. God, just give all we ask you to do. We're not asking you to keep us from persecution. We're not asking you to keep us out of jail. We're asking you for this. Help us to be bold to do what you've commanded us to do. They kept their focus. They prayed for boldness. Now, I'm going to look into this passage a little bit this morning and, and, and find some principles, I think, some guidelines to help us. But I, I want to take a few moments and just, just talk about a very practical issue. And that is the challenge that all of us have to stay focused on what God wants us to do. Um, you know, I was thinking about the cameras that we carry in our pocket or our purse, and those, they're really, a, it's a phone that doubles as a camera. It's our camera that doubles as a phone, however you look at it. But they have a, what is, you know, not all that, uh, recent invention, and that is that they automatically focus. I mean, whatever you put it on, it automatically focuses. Now, now, people like Dave Peterson, they probably like the manual focus better, where you can fine-tune the focus, but not me. I just point and shoot. That's what I like. So, but when you're looking through that lens, when you're looking and about ready to take a picture, I've had this happen before, and something gets in the front of that viewfinder, all of a sudden, it becomes the focus, and what you're wanting to take a picture of becomes blurry or distorted. You know what I'm talking about? Well, this is the way it is in life. In life, we can say, this is what I know God wants me to do with my life. This is how I want to spend my life. But things sort of get in the way and distract us or distort our view until it's not focused anymore. I was thinking as I was preparing for this morning's message, about the revival services that we had last month. And Pastor uh, Fryman from uh, Laramore was here and preached. And it, I tell you, tremendous preaching, great spirit, great services. But here's what, and of course, I, I can relate to this too because I, 
you know, I've preached in several revival meetings since then in different churches, different states. And this is what generally happens and should happen in a revival meeting. It's not that people are going to learn some doctrinal truth they've never heard. That's really not usually the desire. You know what happens is things that are important should come into focus. This is what I want for your family. This is what I want for your prayer life. This is what I want for your devotional time. This is what I want, you know, for your witnessing. It becomes clear in focus because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God working. It becomes clearer. But, but possibly, even all right now, you might be able to, if you thought about it, you might say, you know, there were things, commitments I made that week because it was so clear this is what God wanted. And already, it's kind of gotten fuzzy to me. Already, I've kind of lost my focus. Already, there are things that have gotten in the way that have distracted me. And that's the way life is. Things can happen that distract us or cause us to abandon what should be our priority or abandon the mission that we have for our life, and the challenge in life is to stay focused. Now, I was just uh, thinking about the comments I made about giving, and really, I can remember distinctly how the Lord, you know, this was way back in 1975, that's a long time ago, 40, what, eight years ago. So, when we understood from the Bible that, that God wanted the first fruit of, what, of our income, and so we began then to give to God, to give to God every week. And by the grace of God, you know, we've continued to do that. But here's what happens to people. They'll make a commitment like that, and then all of a sudden the washing machine will break down, or all of a sudden, you know, their hours are cut back. And then we, we've, what was so clear to us at one time now is sort of distorted. Now, it's not as clear to us. That's the way life happens. And the challenge is to stay focused whether it's on evangelism or witnessing or whatever the case might be. And uh, and I'll tell you, Paul was a great example of this, and the church at Jerusalem was a great example of this. In Acts chapter 20, we're not going to turn there, but this was on Paul's road to Jerusalem, and he met with some uh, leaders in Ephesus, and he said to them, it was through someone who had spoken to him about what the future held, And he says, bonds and afflictions await me in Jerusalem. He knew that. When I get there, they're going to lock me up. When I get there, it's going to be a process of persecution. I know what awaits me. And then he said this, but none of these things move me. None of these things are going to alter what my purpose and my mission is. And and this is an important thing for us to, to think about really is, I need to define what God wants for me and be able to keep that in focus and not be drifting away. And by the way, the greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. I was reading in the, in the book of Isaiah yesterday, prophecy concerning Christ's death on the cross. And he said this, I gave my back to the smiters. I voluntarily gave my back to those who would beat me. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And then he said this in Isaiah. I set my face like a flint. In other words, I wasn't going to be deterred. I wasn't going to be distracted. Now, the purpose of this lesson is not just to talk about the 
tendency we have to be distracted or to lose focus, but to really see that it, it, it's a valuable thing for us not only to know about, but how to work on, how to fix this. And we're going to look at that in the passage. And this doesn't just happen in one area of life. It can happen, I mean, how many people have gotten stirred up about their financial goals, and I'm going to eliminate debt, and I'm going to get out of debt, I'm going to begin saving, I'm going to begin investing, and then something, life happens, and then we get distracted. Or we make these physical goals. I'm going to get in better condition. I'm going to get more fit. I'm going to do, I have these goals. And then, and then Thanksgiving comes. And then Christmas comes. And then Easter, you, you, all these opportunities to eat. Or revival meeting comes. For us, it's a revival meeting almost every week. But anyway, these things happen. But more importantly is our spiritual, our spiritual goals. Our spiritual focus. Now, I think you understand that on a personal level. If you don't, I don't know how to explain it any better. But today, I'm not really just talking about individually. I want to talk about our attention, our focus as a church. Because we need to have the same kind of resilience. This is what we're about. This is what we are supposed to be doing. What should our focus be? And if I were to give you a, a little piece of paper today and say, put on this piece of paper what you think church should be like. And we would all put similar things. I think we should love God with all our heart. I think we should anticipate our gathering together to worship God, you know, to get into God's word. We need to be about preaching the gospel. We need to be about giving the good news to people. We're being about help building strong families. And all these things would be a part of what we're supposed to be doing. And all those answers are correct. All those answers are part of it. But it's possible, even as a church, to get distracted, to lose our focus. You know, people uh, have asked me before, I've had opportunity to talk to people before, about the process of building this building, which those of you, some of you weren't around during that time, but it, it took us 37 years to build this building. No, it didn't really, but it seemed like it. And I've said, you know, we... Most of, our, most of the work was done by our men. Most of it was done on Saturdays and evenings and all these kinds of things. But this is what I always tell them. It saved us hundreds of thousands of dollars in labor. But I'll tell you what it cost us. We were distracted in a major way during those times of, about from outreach and discipleship and things of that nature. And, I th and if you were here, you, you may or may not have realized that, but, it was, but it's truth. So, so let's get back into this text in Acts chapter 4 and just notice some characteristics of this church in Jerusalem and how they responded when persecuted. And I want to just point out a few things in this text. The first one is found in verse 23. This is verse 22. It says the man, talking about this man that was healed, the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So this was a great miracle on a 40-year-old man who'd never walked. So they threatened them. Twice they threatened them. And it says in verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company. I have those words underlined or highlighted in my Bible. Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Now when he said the word company, he's talking about the church, the, the group of people they belong to, the company of people. They, they immediately 
reported to the church. When they heard these threats, this is what they're saying. These are the mandates. These are the dictates. This is what they're saying. But the first thing they did was they went to the church. Why? Because they belonged to each other. Now, that's not incidental to me. It's very important. Because this is an important characteristic of a church. When we go through trials or go through difficulties or go through changes, that we, we resort back to the fact that we're one. We are a, we're a family. We are members of a body. That's, that language is so simple and yet so powerful to me. A church is a body. And as, you, as I stand before you today, there's only a couple of parts of my body that I don't have that I began with. I had a tooth pulled a few years ago. You wouldn't notice that. And my kidney, I mean my kidney, my appendix was taken out when I was a kid. So I'm not all together here. I'm missing a tooth and I'm missing my appendix. But as I stand before you today, I'm not anxious, I'm not desirous to give up any part of my body. It all matters. This pinky has a lot of arthritis in it. But I'm still, I'm still, gonna, I'm still keeping it. It's still a keeper. Now, why do you say that? Because as a church, we are a body, and every member matters. Every member matters. And so the, one of the, the first thing that stands out to me, because it's the first verse after this church got together, is that they, they, they came to their own company. They, 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 if, they, if they were looking for an opportunity to bail out, to jump ship, this was it. But they didn't. They went right back to the place of the fellowship. So number one, they went to their own company. Number two, we've already mentioned this, but we'll talk about it briefly. They prayed earnestly. Look in verse 24. We didn't read this. And when they had heard that, when the people that were there, the congregation heard of what the chief priests and elders had said, when they had heard that, their, their immediate response was not to call CLA, not to get a lawyer. Their immediate response was they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. The, the next thing they did, they got together, number one. Number two, they sought God together and they reminded themselves and re, and. Re, and really recall to God that God made everything out of nothing. God is powerful. God is, God is working. And really, this work is God's work. Their work was God's work. They didn't initiate it. God did. And by the way, the same thing is about us. This is God's work. Now, God works through us. And at this, at the part of that prayer that I read a moment ago in verse 29, if you join me there, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants. That's a, an important title that they give themselves. We're here, Lord, to serve you. They're, they're telling us this. We know this is what you want us to do. We know this is what you've commanded us to do. They're telling us that we can't do it. And we're asking you, we're praying for your help to help us keep doing what you want us to do. So there again, they weren't distracted. They weren't, they weren't intimidated they were being realist. These people had authority. They've been told that they can't do this anymore. They were being realistic. But they earnestly prayed. So number one, they went to their own company. Number two, they earnestly prayed. Number three, 
they recognized who was behind these attacks. Look in verse 25. This is a part of their prayer in verse 25 of Acts chapter 4. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, they immediately made the application of something that is recorded in the book of Psalms. Psalms 2. We're not going to turn to it, but this is a a reference to Psalms 2. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, they're praying, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So they recognize really that this is not unheard of. This is a spiritual battle, but the opposition, they were saying, is not against us. It's against God. It's not against us. It's really against Christ. And the battle, and there is a battle, to try to get us off of our purpose and off of our focus. The battle is a spiritual battle. It's not just a physical battle. It's not just a logistical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Now who is it? If this was a pop quiz, everyone here would make an A today. Here's the the question. Who is it that wants to get you and wants to get me and wants to get us distracted from what God wants us to do? Who is it? Satan. It's the devil. It's exactly right. And by the way, he's pretty good at what he does. That's why sometimes we find ourselves looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, you know, you're busy with a lot of stuff, but you're not really busy with some of the stuff you ought to be busy with. And it's not just a scheduling problem. Sometimes it's a spiritual problem. And this was the purpose. Just back up a little bit further in Acts chapter 4 and notice out of the mouth of their critics, what they were saying. Look in verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. So what was the, what was the real goal? To silence them. That was the goal that they speak no more in this name, that they spread this message no further. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do. Keep us keep us from doing the things that God wants us to do. Why? Because he hates our message. He hates the Lord. He hates the church. He hates our message. He hates what we stand for. He hates our mission. And so what does he do? He doesn't always use a government decree Sometimes he just uses other things, difficulties and trials and conflicts and problems to lose our focus. And we know what? When that happens, he succeeded. We're not doing what we ought to be doing. He hates the preaching of the gospel. Absolutely. He hates it. So what did they do? They went to their own company, number one. They prayed earnestly. Three, they they recognized where these attacks were coming from. Number four... They remained unified. Look in verse 24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God. Notice the next three words. With one accord. They stayed unified. In verse 32 it says, 
the multitude of them, not just the apostles, not just a handful, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. You know, one of the things that helps us stay focused is what we're doing right now. We come to church, we sing songs to God, you know, we, we worship God, we fellowship with like-minded people, we hear the Bible preach. You know what all that's doing? It's feeding us, but it's focusing us on what God really wants for us. And so they were unified because this is it's not one person's, this was not one person's ministry. It wasn't just the apostles, it was the church. A, a thing I'll just mention in verse 31 that's so important, but just for time's sake, I just want to point it out. Look in verse 31, it says, And when they prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. This matter of being filled with the Holy Ghost, that's, in, that's critical. They weren't just, these were not just Christians who were attending church periodically, but really were walking in the flesh or world, had worldly lives. That's not who they were. They were filled with the Spirit of God. That means that their life was being influenced, controlled, led by the Spirit of God. They were spiritually minded people. And they needed this matter to, uh, of, of being focused. But the next one I, I want to mention also in that verse, verse 31, it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. This was the outcome. They kept evangelizing. They kept getting out the gospel. They kept preaching the gospel. Last part of verse 33, it says the same thing. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So, so what, was their, what was their focus? They refused to be deterred from this priority. Now let me just, let me just personalize this for a moment today. If that's the purpose of our church, if that is the primary reason that we're here is to give out the gospel... Are we doing that? Are we committed to that? I don't mean is the church committed to that. I mean are we individually committed to that? And the answer is if we're not, you know, we need to refocus. We, read, we need to be reevaluating our time and our energy and what we're doing. One last thing it says in verse 33 about them. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. Not just about the apostles. Great grace was upon them all. Why? God was blessing and God was working. So, so we see in this, in this church how they responded to this, these threats and this opportunity for distraction. I can see where it would be very possible for a church in the same situation to begin to pull back. You know, let's, let's tone it down a little bit. Let's not be as aggressive in our evangelism. Let's not be aggressive in our witnessing. We can, you know, let's... But, but the reality is they did not do that. Now, let's think about us and how God would have us as a church. And I, I say us, I'm a part of this church. How, does, how would God have us, how, what would he have us to be witness, be focused on and be about our witness, etc. And, and I just think God would have us realize we need to keep doing what we've been commanded to do. And it's so easy in life to get distracted from that. You know, um, I think there are a lot of people that if they look back on their life, they would say, you know, I can remember when God really dealt with me about this. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. 
This is how, this is how I want you to treat this. And we believe it strongly, but the further down the road, it gets muddied. We kind of lose track of it. And um, just to share something very personal with you, and I'll wrap it up with this. You know, most of y'all know that my wife's brother is uh, stage four cancer, and he's uh, last week, a week before last, when he was at MD Anderson, they just basically said there's no point in taking any more treatments. Uh, the treatments aren't affecting the cancer. Well, the last time I was there, you know, um, we were talking about this. And, and I told him about the Old Testament story about King Hezekiah and how the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, get your house in order because you're about to die. And he turned his face to the wall and he prayed and he wept. The king did, begged God to help him. And Isaiah had walked out of the room, was actually walking across the courtyard. And God said, I want you to go back and tell him that I'm going to add 15 years to his life. And I told, this, I told this story to Mike. And I said to him, uh, there's some lessons in this. And it doesn't say this in Kings or Chronicles, but it says it in Isaiah. That the king said, when God said, I'm going to give you 15 years, he said this, I will walk softly all my days. You know what that means? I'm going to be care very careful about how I live the rest of my life. That's the good news. The bad news is Hezekiah went right back soon and made a horrible decision which brought God's judgment on Israel. But I said to my brother-in-law, I said, I don't know how long you've got. But I said, if I was you, I would live every day like it's my last one. And he thanked me for that. It made sense to him. And he's got a lot of regrets about the way he's lived the last part of his life. But it's easy to say that. Even to say to Hezekiah, you've got 15 years. And Hezekiah said, I will walk softly. And then he messed up. Now here's the, you say, what does that have to do with this? It has everything to do with this. We've got to figure out how to figure out what God wants us to do and stay focused on that. Not hit and miss, not off and on, not just come to revival meeting, get fired up, get stirred up, say, I'm going to do this different, and then, and then life starts happening, and all of a sudden we put that on hold. We're not, evangelism doesn't mean what it used to mean, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not focusing on my family like I should. My whole point is, we need to stay focused on what our purpose is as a church. Like I said, and I could, you've, you've probably seen this or heard this, but COVID has really played a bad role in a lot of churches that got them, that got them sidetracked, got them off their rhythm, got them out of what they were normally doing, and, and still trying to find their way. And I'm just saying, we need to get in focus. What does God want us to do? and be committed to doing that. Churches go through changes, people go through changes, you know, but none of those things have to cause us to lose our purpose, to lose our vision. And so how does, how does a church stay focused? 
the church is a group of people. The only way the church stays focused is if the individuals stay focused. And, and if I was sitting here today listening to this, I'd be thinking in my mind, you know, maybe, maybe I've let things get in the way. Things got in the path of the viewfinder, and, they're, and they're, now I'm focused on that more than what I should be focused on. And if that's the case, we want to make, we, have, we don't have this automatic, wouldn't it be glad if we had this automatic focus? Every day, my life just automatically focused on what everything God, God wanted me to do, but that doesn't happen. We, don't have, we have to manually make adjustments. I'm going to quit giving this time to this when I should be giving it to that. I'm going to quit focusing. And you know what happens in life? I'm, I'm, I maybe sound like I'm being critical. I'm just being real. People end up like some people that I love who have spent years and years and years in their life doing things that seemed important. Now, all of a sudden, they realize those things are not near as important as the priority I gave to them. And I'd say we just need to take a lesson from this church. Yes, difficulties came. Yes, trials came. Yes, persecution came. Yes, they locked some of us up in jail. But by the grace of God, God, help us keep doing the thing you want us to do. Help us stay on focus.